Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Off the Waivers podcast, where we cover everything MLB and NBA related. I'm your host, James Andrews, and boy, do we have a crazy one for you today. We left off last week talking about our predictions for the trade deadline, and we were partly right about some of the things, but we way underestimated how uh, active some of these teams would be at the deadline. This is one of the craziest ones that I've ever seen. I'm now going to welcome in my co-host, Eric Barnes. Eric, have you ever seen a trade deadline quite like this one we saw this year? I, I definitely have not, especially in the past years. The past years, it's been, you know, kind of lackluster and teams have been, you know, not as aggressive and they've been sitting back and, you know, holding, pl- holding, not trying to show all their cards. But this year, it was just a complete like flip. There were so many teams that were just so aggressive and they just were going for it. And it was a nice change. And I was a lot of news to cover and a lot, uh, you know, to follow and keep track of. So I honestly, it was a blast. I really enjoyed it. It really was. This past 24 hours in sports just in general has been crazy. The NBA was going bonkers too with their, with the draft last night as well. The Olympics has been hot. There's been so much in the sports world. It's been a lot of fun, uh, here in the, um, late months of the summer, uh, getting, in, cl- closing in on the fall season. Uh, but yeah, back to the trade deadline. I mean, I've seen trade deadlines with a lot of superstars, but not a lot of total players traded. I've seen it the other way around. I've seen some where it's a lot of action um, right around the uh, time of the exact deadline, but not a lot leading up to it and vice versa. But we got everything, a little bit of everything in this trade deadline. Uh, But let's go ahead and start with the big headline trade. Uh, The one that might have tilted the league completely upside down and created another super team if uh, the Dodgers weren't a super team already. Of course, I'm talking about the Max Scherzer and Trey Turner trade going from the Washington Nationals, uh, who won the World Series just uh, two years ago in the last full MLB season. But they're now punting on their season after hanging around 500 for most of the year or just underneath of it. And now uh, they're sending those two guys to the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, who, of course, have been really good this season but have still been missing some of their key guys. Clayton Kershaw uh, has missed a lot of time this season. Dustin May may not return. And, of course, we have no idea what's going on with the Trevor Bauer saga as well. So they bring in an ace and a borderline all-star caliber shortstop to fill some of the holes they have. Now, this did come at a price as they had to give up the one and two uh, best prospects in their system. Uh, both are ranked in the top 50 of overall uh, prospects in baseball. Do you think this was a good trade for the Dodgers? Um, obviously, those prospects, uh, a little bit of a, um, a costly trade here for them. The Dodgers have been a little bit more conservative than this in the past, but they're make, sending a clear message here. They're going for back-to-back World Series. What do you think of this at blockbuster trade? Well, first of all, I was just absolutely shocked how quickly this came about. Um, you know, a week ago, if you would have told me that not only would Max Scherzer be on the move to L.A., I would have said, OK. But then you said Trey Turner's going with him. That would have just blown my mind. And it are, it still does blow my mind. But personally, I think this was a, you know, a, just a full on. We're going all in move from the Dodgers. We don't care about who we have to give up and what we have to do. And, and you know what? I think it's going to be a move that works for him. Uh, the return, it seems hefty, but if you really think about it, uh, you know, you got Kyber, or Kyber Ruiz, who's been one of the top 
catching prospects in the game for a couple of years now. But with Will Smith on the roster, you, you know, it's hard for them to see where he was going to end up playing. He was a guy that, you know, that they probably were okay getting letting go. And then Josiah Gray, who is, I think has really great stuff and he's been hurt most of this year. So it's been not been able to, you know, put it on show, but he is one of their top pitching prospects, but you're getting Max Scherzer back. And if he signs long-term there, I mean, I think it's completely worth it. They had a couple other like uh, mid-tier guys in their, in their, um, organization that went with them but this trade i think it's going to work wonders both sides uh you know it's a little shocking i think if you're the nationals you probably should have asked for more at least you maybe could have gotten more but i mean in the short circumstances or short time that this came together it really is mind-blowing and it just shows the dodgers are the evil empire of the new era they they are thinking like the Yankees like the Yankees now you you might think like especially we'll, we'll talk later because they made a couple big moves too and they really like went out and spent but the Yankees now have a two hundred and one million dollar salary this year the Dodgers have a two hundred and eighty five million dollar salary um and, and the fact that that is their team their club salary is two hundred eighty five and there are teams in this league that barely scratch fifty million. That's nuts. And they just, they don't care. And they just go out there and, you know, if this was going to happen, it wasn't going to be any other team with the Dodgers. And it was just shocking to say the least. Yeah. And uh, on the note of the payroll, I mean, you, you got to give uh, credit to just the ownership of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Obviously, they're in that huge market out in L.A. And coming off the World Series, they do seemingly have all the money in the world that they can spend. But even still, we see a lot of teams that like the Yankees, the Red Sox, even your Cardinals to a degree. They're always penny pinching, even when they don't necessarily have to. And then, of course, they're always uh, spreading out propaganda to, the, to their fans that they're out of money and that they may need to shift some things around or they can't go out and get this big guy and we all know that they really just uh, being cheap to a degree that these owners if they wanted to spend the money they could because they are always putting in a huge net profit at the end of the day in their books but you got to give the Dodgers organization a lot of credit for going out there and saying our number one priority is winning we don't care how much money we have to take on we're trying to win right now for our fans and I agree I think this was a home run trade for them Max Scherzer will be that extra ace that they uh, probably needed because they're not really sure what the state of their current rotation is right now Max Scherzer will probably seemingly slide into the one spot right in front of Walker Bueller right now. And this gives them a little bit more cushion with Clayton Kershaw coming back and what they want to do with some of their other pitchers. Uh, they also acquired Danny Duffy at the deadline from the Royals, but at this point, uh, he might just be a uh, bullpen piece as he's recovering from injury as well. And Trey Turner, uh, Corey Seager is actually going to come back today for the Dodgers off the 60-day IL. So he's going to go back to his shortstop. And so now I guess it remains to see uh, where Trey Turner is going to play. Uh, the most obvious fit seems to be second base, even though he hasn't done that at the major league level. Uh, he's a very good defensive shortstop, so there's no reason to think that with some time that he can't become a pretty good uh, second baseman uh, in a hurry, uh, and of course that'll give them probably the best infield in the major leagues with Max Muncie and Justin Turner in the corner infield spots. I think and that too. Oh, sorry. I mean, with, on that that uh, just or what's called Trey Turner thing. They're so spoiled too that we're thinking about he's coming in. He's just like all star level shortstop, and they're thinking maybe you could slot him at second base. But like, where do you actually play him? Because you know they have Gavin Lux, so I think's been playing a lot better this year as like they're one of their top prospects playing second base. You know, Trey Turner, he's played a little bit of center field in the in the past, uh, but obviously the Dodgers have incredible like outfielders, like. 
it just shows that I, I don't even think the Dodgers needed Trey Turner. They just kind of went out and did it. It was just something that I, it makes no sense. Why? Like they could have just gotten Scherzer easy and they said, you know, we don't care. We're the Dodgers. We'll get Trey Turner too. And it makes no sense. But like, like you said, you, if he plays second base and he can, you know, figure it out fast and Corey Seager gets back to the level he was in the postseason, um, coming back off this injury, I, I, there's no way this or no way you could ever say or argue that this isn't the best infield uh, in the game. And, you know, they probably once again have the most fearsome lineup in the game, too, uh, with all the guys in there and there and then adding Trey Turner into that. It's incredible. Yeah. And then their bench, too, just runs so deep. They'll be able to bring like Chris Taylor, uh, Albert Pujols, and of course, will be coming off their bench. But then maybe like uh uh, AJ Pollock might sit for a game. Cody Bellinger's really struggled to get it going. We may even see him uh, on the bench some games. So it's like even when you get into the later innings with them, they'll have just uh, pinch hitters for days, no matter how they want to match it up. They'll have continue to have fearsome hitters uh, come come off the bench and to just really set their lineup one through nine uh, for the entirety of games. And it'll really help them deep going deep into series if they have any other injuries. This team is just so loaded right now with front end talent and, and with um de- depth all up and down their roster. I mean, you, you even forget that they have guys like Mookie Betts on their team because even though Mookie Betts is a former MVP, he's just o- so overshadowed that he doesn't even get maybe the attention that he deserves. It's just they are absolutely loaded right now. And I would say there's really no excuse for the Dodgers not to win the division at this point. As good as, as, good as the Giants have been this season, and of course we'll get to them uh, here in a couple of minutes, uh, they're only three games back from the Giants right now, and they still have plenty of games left to go against uh, each other this season. So those would be really exciting matchups to determine the division. That's if the Padres don't uh, step in there as well as they're only five and a half games back in the NL West. So I think this was the strongest uh, division in baseball, in my opinion. And I think most people would agree with that take. And I would take that one step further as to say all three of those teams in the division are probably the three best teams in baseball. If not, there are certainly all three of them are in the top five. And they just only got that much stronger. I mean, you have to say that the NL West is the clear winners of this deadline because yeah, now going down the stretch of all the teams as, as aggressive as they were and, you know, all making moves to just completely, like, uh, build up their roster even more, they that it's going to be playoff games down the stretch, and it's going to be incredible to watch, like, these incredible rosters that have been structured, or structured now. And, and like you said, I, I totally agree. I think that they are, if they're not, um, you know, the three best, they are, like, three of the like top five best teams in baseball um, for sure now roster and record wise. And, and I think that it's going to be just fun baseball down the stretch watching NLS, the, the NLS. And I think a lot of those fans are really going to see some intense baseball and they're going to be, you know, enjoyable to follow. Yeah, and for the Nationals, I think they got a pretty good haul here. I agree. I think they maybe could have gotten a little bit more just because they did bundle both those players, but it, it was going to be tough for them to get a huge haul for both of them either way. Scherzer is uh, an aging pitcher, and he's going into the final year of his contract, and Trey Turner has one more year left on his deal. Uh, so I feel like they came out pretty decent in this, and they have and those those prospects are also major league ready too, which I think is a, a huge uh, thing to note because they still have some talent on their 
roster like Juan Soto. And so I think they'll be able to compete uh, for probably the rest of the season. I don't think they're just going to bottom out and tank uh, to close the year. They may even uh, still uh, close into being close to 500 at the end of the year. But then next season, too, it keeps their window open to compete going forward. Uh, they'll have um, some more uh, tap space to play with going into the offseason. Maybe they sign another free agent. Maybe they bring Max Scherzer back. Who knows? Um, but then just to play devil's advocate for the Dodgers, it is very important that they go and make a run for this division now because worst case scenario, they went out and traded all those guys to bring in Max Scherzer to have him pitch game one of the wild card game. And then ultimately lo- they could easily lose that game to the Padres and boom, their season is done just like that. And that was a, a wasted trade of assets there. Uh, so it is going to be extremely fun to watch those three NOS teams uh, battle it out uh, to close the year. And then the wild card game is just going to be a, th- a blast, uh, whichever two teams miss out on winning that division. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And on the Nationals point, I think they are still set up to maybe compete towards the future, but they definitely threw it in. They moved a bunch of their guys. They had a whole fire sale similarly to what the Cubs did, only not as impactful because it wasn't like huge core guys. But I mean, for the most part, it was. They they got rid of uh, the flip-flop at the beginning of the year when they were trying to buy and, you know, go all in again. Um, but they they, uh, they decided, you know, the only person safe on this roster was Soto. But I like what they did. They moved, they moved Hand, they moved uh, Scherzer, they moved, they even moved John Lester, and you know, got some pieces back. Uh, so you know, I like what the Nationals are doing. I think they have a clear direction, and I don't think it's a complete throw in the towel. I think they, uh, most of the guys that got back are MLB ready, and, and you know, they're going to be back in the future. But I think, I think they saw what the writing on the wall was. They saw what was happening out west, and they made the, a good judgment call, especially in a tight a division where you know they might have still had a chance. But it, I think this is a, a smart move for them. Yeah. And then uh, also the only other team or not, I wouldn't say the only other team, but the next team that was closest to offering them a package of what the Dodgers did was the Padres. So for the Dodgers perspective, you almost had to go out and add the sweeteners to the deal that put them over the edge because it's one thing to not get that ace that you kind of need, but then to have them go to your rival who you could end up playing in the wild card game or uh, meaningful games down the stretch of the regular season. It would have been really bad. It would have been a bad look for them uh, if the Padres were able to load up on those guys so good for the Dodgers uh, to get them but then moving on here to the Giants they were also one of the big winners here the deadline adding uh, one of the top bats uh, that is Chris Bryant uh, in response to the move the Dodgers made uh, the night beforehand Uh, Chris Bryant of course is having a not a bit of a redemption season after having a kind of a down 2020 and he's just been playing phenomenal uh, making the all-star game this year having an OPS just under 900 but he's also provides so much versatility he's played all all over the diamond this year, as we mentioned beforehand. Third base, center field, left field, first base. He probably catch and pitch for you if you really needed to. Uh, he said he's having fun like a kid again, and I think that's going to be so important because I think that's a great fit for the Giants, who might not necessarily play him at third base every night because they love versatility and moving guys around as well. Uh, how big of an impact do you think Chris Bryant's going to make on the Giants? I think you touched on it right at the end there. Uh, Chris Bryant's versatility is going to be the most impo- impactful thing he brings to the San Francisco organization because they were a team that I think that they were probably content with what they had. They have really good chemistry and, and they have a lot of, um, you know, strong players and strong positions. But, you know, when the Dodgers and the uh, Padres were as aggressive as they were to try and, you know, topple over them, 
Uh, they had to make a move, and they went out and they got Chris Bryant. And the idea that Chris Bryant can be an all-star level player, but he, he can play, he could probably play light, right field for them. And then they need to switch out other guys here and there on different days for you know health reasons or you know maybe even some injury uh, insurance. It's great to have a player like Chris Bryant who can literally play all three outfield positions. He can move uh, in, on the corners and uh, in the infield. So yeah, I think that's going to be the big impact that he brings to this team is that he's going to be a solid bat with good postseason experience. Uh, and, and then he's also just got that versatility as a defender. So I think it was an excellent move for the Giants. They had to go get someone. And, you know, this was a last minute uh, addition. And, you know, I think could be something that proves crucial and down the stretch. And and again, in this uh, this playoff race in the NL West, which is going to be so intense and so incredible. Yeah, and then for the Cubs here, I, I do not think they got necessarily got a good return. They didn't get any of the Giants' top prospects. And uh, just uh, even though he was a rental and it's hard to get a tough, a lot of uh, a good package for a, a rental uh, position player, uh, still, I think, do you think they could have gotten more for Chris Bryant here? Um, Honestly, I don't think so. I think Chris Bryant uh, was a guy that, regardless of where he might have ended up, unless it was maybe Philly, I think would have mo- is most likely going to test free agency. I, I think that's just where it's headed. Um, and, and I think that he just comes in, he's going to come in and help your team. And I think they sold him as a rental. And I think they, the giants bought him knowing he was going to be a rental. So I, I think the price for him was set. Uh, and they, you know, I think they clearly just wanted to get him out of there and, you know, get a, hit the full reset button if you're Chicago and that's what they did. So I think they took what they could get, and that's pretty much how that this trade ended up. So I mean, maybe they could have gone gotten more here and there, but I don't think realistically you were going to get anybody's top prospects, and especially not the the Giants' top prospects. And speaking of hitting the total reset button, one of our talking points last week was which one of the Cubs' big name players that are all going to be free agents coming up at season's end uh, would they uh, move on from? We were talking about which one, uh, one or two of them would move. Well, it turns out they just traded all of them. Anthony Rizzo is going to the Yankees. Uh, of course, Chris Bryant's going to the Giants. Craig uh, Kimbrell is on his way to the Chicago White Sox to join their loaded bullpen. And then Javi Baez is going to the Mets uh, to make a fearsome middle infield duo with Francisco Lindor there which one uh which one of those moves do you think was the most impactful for the receiving team um i think if you had to pick one it's got to be kimbrell to the white Sox because kimbrell coming into the white Sox, i think will probably put them as the best bullpen in baseball um and they have a dynamic duo liam hendricks was already probably up, up there for the best closer in baseball and then they bring in another guy who's probably the best closer in baseball. And now that's your, your, uh, your what's called the guys you're going to have to face in the eighth and ninth inning. And they don't even know they're both so good. They don't even know which one's going to end up doing it. I think that, and then on top of the other moves that they made, they made another move with the white Sox to get to para. Who's been a really solid middle reliever. And with the guys that are already in the bullpen for the white Sox, I think adding Craig Kimbrell really add that stability. And, you know, I think it's going to be massive for them. Um, do you have a favorite or do you, do you think that that was probably the best move for them as well? 
Yeah, I mean, I agree with that Kimbrel move. Uh, adding him with Liam Hendricks, I think, does give him the best one-two punch in baseball because, uh, as you said, they're, they're, they are the two best in baseball. So now they're both going to be on the same team, and I think this is huge for the White Sox here because we know they can hit. They've got a great lineup made up of young players, and I think they've got just enough starting pitching to carry them to this bullpen, and that's going to be absolutely lights out. Uh, and when uh, that, and we know that's what you really need deep in October. So I think the White Sox were definitely one of the biggest winners there from that perspective because we know. Craig Kimbrell was probably the biggest name on the market. Uh, it was either him or Max Scherzer, but as good as Max Scherzer is, I think Craig Kimbrell is the more effective player here because uh, you need those dominant late inning relievers, and uh, he's one of the few uh, that are out there that you know are going to be consistently great, uh, but I want to talk about the Anthony Rizzo move to the Yankees for here for a little bit hey, because... I've got some opinions, thoughts on this. It really came out of left field. The Joey Gallo one we knew uh, was uh, almost destined uh, to happen. Uh, the Yankee, he seems like a perfect fit for the Yankees. That's obviously what they needed. They needed an outfielder. They needed a left-handed bat. That one uh, seemed to fit perfectly, but the Rizzo one uh, kind of came out of nowhere here. Honestly, I thought the every uh, I thought the Yankees would just go for pitching after they got Joey Gallo or try to shift some other things around. But they brought in Anthony Rizzo, even though they still have Luke Foyt on the roster, even though he's on the IL right now, uh, but Anthony Rizzo kind of provides more of what the Yankees need because he's not an all-or-nothing guy. Uh, he's someone who's very good at the plate. Uh, he has got a great eye. He's not going to go around chasing pitches. He's going to put together good at-bats, and when he's on, he can still be a m- great middle-of-the-order bat. He has had a little bit of a disappointing season. He hasn't been uh, quite up to the uh, the levels that we normally see Anthony Rizzo at as one of the better sluggers uh, and on-base guys in baseball. But I still think it's a pretty decent move for the Yankees, although uh, they did give up kind of a lot, uh, giving up their number 9 and 12 prospects to the Cubs. Honestly, I think it was a better haul than what they got for Chris Bryant, uh, who's obviously been paying... Uh, playing much better. So even though the Cubs didn't get a top 100 prospect out of the Yankees, uh, they still got two of their top prospects. So I think overall that was a good move for both teams. But it was a little bit of a shock to see the Yankees make that move. And honestly, I thought it was resources that may have been better spent elsewhere. I mean, I agree with that. But I also think that Anthony Rizzo is the guy that um, might just have as much impact on the Yankees season as, you know, what we were just discussing that Bryant could have for the Giants. Because not only did you mention he is at, you're adding another lefty bat in there that uh, um, can really help what the Yankees need, but in the past week in, or so, Rizzo's really turned it on. He's really started to get hot. Uh, he's gonna, I think he's gonna enjoy hitting into the in the short port uh, short porch. He's just a consistent guy who's gonna get on base for the Yankees. And you mentioned the Luke Voigt problem, but I feel like Luke Voigt could end up being in a DH uh, role moving forward. I feel like you could rather have the consistent bat uh, or you could even platoon that situation. Uh, I think what's going to ultimately ha- happen out of this is we're going to see more of the the big guys like the Stan and the judges, uh, you know, in the outfield, actually playing in the outfield. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll have to see what the Yankees and what they do with it because obviously you can't have them out there for too long, especially Stanton, who hasn't really played there in a couple of years, and you don't want to risk more injuries that he's already had in the past. So it's going to be really interesting how they work with that. And the versatility of Joey Gallo coming in for them as well is going to um, – he'll move around and they'll see what happened there. But I think Rizzo is an excellent piece for the Yankees. And, that, yeah, I agree that the prospect package might have been um, a little much. But I think the the Cubs asking price for some of those key guys was, was a lot because um, I think 
like we look at what what they got back from um Kimbrel they got like two big prospects from the White Sox in that deal so you know I I think it, it could have been worse but you know it could have been probably a little better but Rizzo I think is going to have a good impact on the Yankee season and they need it desperately if they're going to compete for even a wild card spot yeah, and that's my biggest concern with the Yankees is they are going for a wild card spot here. And that's one of the things that I can't seem to quite understand is the past several years, uh, they kind of balked on making a big move like this. And then now coming into this season, we're barely over 500, third place in the division. Uh, we're several games down from the Red Sox and Rays, and we can never uh, can string together any consistent stretches. And that's when they go out and make the big moves. I'm afraid it's just going to be wasted here as Anthony Rizzo is a free agent at season's end. Of course, they did get uh, go out and get Joey Gallo. Uh, who will have another year left after this with the Yankees. So overall, I thought that was a much better move than the Anthony Rizzo one was. Uh, but then uh, shifting up here to the last uh, Cub player that we didn't talk about was Javi Baez, of course, with the Mets. A lot of people are very excited about that deal. They're going to have the flashiest middle infield duo, uh, to say the least, uh, without a doubt. But do you think that it was actually a good fit for, to put those two together? So. Fit, I, I'm not entirely sure because we know what um, Javi Baez's inconsistencies are as a hitter in his career. But I mean, defensively, if you throw him at second base and when Dora becomes back help, when he comes back healthy at shortstop, like you're going to have a surefire uh, top tier middle infield and it's going to provide some excellent moments. Those guys, I think, as like personalities and coming in. Uh, in the same locker room and clubhouse, they're going to be, they're going to be really enjoyable to have. And they might even be a little, um, infectious and contagious for the rest of the team. So I think that's where the impact could be. Um, and then I think that Javi Baez, we've seen what he does on a big stage in Chicago. He's just going to come to the big apple and those massive home runs that he hits and those like crazy moments like he had last week with Amir Garrett. I think those might get a little more intense or what's called. Uh, they might get a little more intensified or, you know, uh, exclamatory if, you know, the Mets are actually in this playoff race like they have been. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. I think out of the, the, uh, four moves or like the four big moves that the white or the Cubs made, I, I think this is probably the, the least, you know, I wouldn't say reasonable. I wouldn't say the one I like the least. I, I think that, you know, Baez is a guy where it's going to be hard to figure out what he does or what he is as a, a player. He's going to help you in the postseason, but he does have the experience, uh, and uh, and he will, I think, do something for the Mets uh, if it, whether regardless if it's on the field or if it's in the clubhouse. But he'll he'll bring a good impact that'll help push the Mets into the playoffs if they can make it there. But it's a tight, a tough race, and, and I just I personally like the other moves the Cubs made uh, over this one. Yeah, and they're definitely going to have the best defensive uh, middle infield in all of baseball. I can say that confidently, but I just don't know if I trust these guys offensively. Francisco Lindor has been playing a lot better of lately at the plate. He's kind of coming out of his uh, long slump to start the season where Mets fans were completely given up on him. And I think the similar thing could happen with Javi Baez. Uh, for starters, we know one of his uh, biggest perks is uh, his uh, insane uh, cannon that he has for an arm, but playing second base, he's not going to get the chance to use that as much, so that's not going to be as 
big of a factor. And then at the plate, he is a, a very all-or-nothing hitter. He's got a, a big swing, and when he's on, he can be really hot and he can carry your team. Uh, but when he's uh, not going great, he's not somebody that you want up in the late innings with the game on the line. And I think Mets fans might get really frustrated with him if those situations happen. And Javi Baez is just uh, striking out and not even coming close to making contact with the pitches. And I could definitely see a uh, like a Carlos Beltran situation in the playoffs uh, where it would be the opposite. Instead of uh, Javi Baez taking a pitch, I could see him just chasing pitches uh, in a huge at-bat and then uh, Mets fans just completely giving up on him. And obviously, now he's playing on the big stage here in New York. It's going to be a little bit different than Chicago, even though he was on the big stage with them at times. So it's going to be interesting to see how that move plays out. But... I'm not sold on the Mets finishing out the season strong here, winning their division. They're a very good team, uh, but I just don't know if they have uh, if they're capable of making a run in the playoffs. If they even do win their division, and currently Jacob Degrom suffered another uh, setback to his pitching arm. So if if, J- if Jacob Degrom isn't 100, percent then this Mets team has no chance of going anywhere. Uh, but even if he is, I just I don't know if I love the pairing of these two. I just I think that offensively they're pretty limited. Uh, for uh, even though they're big brand names, I just don't know if their production is going to match that. I mean, absolutely. We Javi Baez. He's just a he's a three true outcome hitter. He's very much a free swinger, and everybody in the league knows that. Uh, he connects with the ball. It's going to go a long way, but it depends if he's going to be consistent enough to do that. Uh, uh, and that's just simply how it is. And that's what I think the Mets know they're getting. Um, but I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't know how good, great of a move this is too. Cause I also don't think that it's a lock that Javi Baez then resigns with them as well. Uh, or if they even want to keep him around, I, I would imagine they would, but I think like Javi Baez is a guy who will very much test free agency and could like the idea of even what's called going down to Miami or maybe seeing, uh, what some of the West Coast teams are looking at, or even maybe going back to Chicago. I think he said that, you know, if the opportunity came up, he would love to go back to Chicago already. And he's only been a Met for <laughs> like 10 minutes. <laughs> so um, I think that, uh, you know, anything's possible with them. So I don't know. It seems like a move that was just made, uh, you know, hopefully spark something in the clubhouse. But again, I, I agree with you. I don't know exactly what he's going to do offensively to boost his team. And we we know the Mets need hitting more than anything they need. Like they, Pete Alonso is coming on a little bit more since the, the break, but they, they need offense if they're going to, you know, compete and stay in that, in that hunt for the division. Yeah. It just seemed like a very Mets-esque move going out and getting the flashiest player that they possibly could. And uh, speaking and a different player that they maybe could have gotten, but the Padres snagged up earlier in the week before a lot of the moves started going down uh, was a player who plays uh, that same position. Uh, all-star starter Adam Frazier uh, it was traded from the Pirates to the Padres, a uh, guy who has a little bit more, uh, a couple years left of control. We weren't necessarily sure if the Pirates would pull the trigger and trade him now, but the Padres uh, gave him an offer that apparently they couldn't refuse. And so that's what they did. They moved him. He already has had immediate impact with the Padres uh, do you think this was a good fit for them I mean absolutely uh this trade it just it feels like it happened a long time ago with all the stuff that's happened in the past day or the past 24 hours but um as you said he's already come in and he's done um wonders in the short time he's been with San Diego I think it was an excellent trade what they did they didn't give up crazy pod or uh prospects in the process and Adam Frazier is going to come in be a great utility guy and he's going to stay hot as the hitter that uh 
that he is. I, I we both talked about him think when we um discussed it on the preview podcast last week that we're not so sure what he projects to be for the future, but he's a guy who's under control uh, in a safe uh Padres lineup with all the guys around him and his job is just to get on base. I really like him in this role and he um helps them defensively as well. He, he allows them I think to get Eric Hosmer a little bit out of their lineup and they were shopping him, but obviously they couldn't move on from him. But uh, I think he just adds another layer to the lineup and, and adds more people to get on base for the big hitters like Tatis and Machado. Yeah, I wasn't sure if how impactful an Adam Frazier trade would be, but I think this is the perfect situation for him, like you just mentioned, because he is such a great on-base guy. I think he's going to be the perfect table setter uh, in front of Tatis and, and Machado there. And then, of course, they also have Jake Cronesworth, who, of course, was the backup to Adam Frazier uh, in, in the All-Star game. So now they have just uh, even more uh, weapons that they can use. So they're kind of like the Dodgers now, where they are just kind of stockpiling players. They can either move Cronesworth to left field or first base, base. Uh, even Adam Frazier has some versatility as well. He may be able to play the outfield. So the Padres can continue moving pieces around. Uh, if Eric Hosmer gets hurt or really goes into a slump, uh, they can uh, keep both those guys in the infield. Or if someone out in the outfield is struggling because uh, I believe left field was a big hole for the Padres that they've been looking to fill this season, they might just end up keeping Cronesworth out there. So overall I think it was a very good move for the Padres. They're a team that I would have liked to see get a pitcher. Uh, so Sort of similar to the Mets as well. They added a middle infield even though it might not have been their biggest uh, place of need uh, when they could really could have used the pitcher. But uh, every acquisition helps. And of course, it'll also boost the locker room. And with uh, even though the Padres obviously went out and got Adam Frazier first, uh, they did a whiff on Max Scherzer and anyone else that they were trying to go out and get. So it, the Dodgers uh, got their guys and Max Scherzer-Turner. The Giants got Chris Bryant. So at least the Padres can say, well, at least we have Adam Frazier and all of our other guys that we have now. So at least they still feel like they can uh, compete and that their organization has their best intention in mind uh, trying to go ch- uh, chase these uh, super teams out west i mean it wasn't for a lack of trying either the 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 Padres were in the mix for the scherzers and some of the other guys i believe they were you know looking at daniel hudson as well from washington they were going to pull out the scherzer trade but i mean the dodgers beat them to it but it, it wasn't the end of the world for them like you said they they made uh some good moves and you know their pitching is still in a good spot they've had a strong bullpen for the majority of the year and then we know what their rotation is when everybody's healthy so uh i i think the Padres are still in a great position and, and you know they did a good job yeah and then so from there moving on to uh, one of the biggest losers of this trade deadline a team we haven't mentioned yet and that's the Colorado Rockies because what exactly are they doing? Obviously, they're 20 and a half games out of first place in the NL West. So maybe there's still hope there. Well, probably not. Uh, but they decide to hold on to Trevor Story and both their pitchers, John Gray and Herman Marquez there. Do you think they just didn't get an offer that they liked? Or is it because maybe they had been struggling this year? For whatever reason, I mean, what do you take of the Rockies just holding on to their guys and not making any moves this trade deadline? I think it's kind of weird. I, I mean, there was no guarantee that Trevor Story would get moved, but I thought at least like a guy like John Gray would be uh, um, definitely available and on the move somewhere for someone who needs starting pitching because, you know, we saw what the, start, the starting pitching market was, and, and I felt like he would have been an easily attainable guy for someone out there. But the fact that they kind of like kept all their chips was really you know, interesting and a little weird. Uh, I think that maybe the GM... 
was, you know, had different plans. He cl- clearly, based on all the reports, he had his prices for his guys and um, was not, you know, afraid to not trade them. He had came out before when he got the job saying that we're not a farm system for uh, other clubs. And, and so I think that's kind of what's happened here. With Trevor's story, it seems like they had a set price and teams weren't going to meet it or find, reach it. Uh, he was perfectly fine keeping him. And if Trevor Story leaves, he's going to go for that um, compensation pick that he will do get from uh, him doing so. But, I mean, I personally think that there were probably um, trades that happened there and, and that the offers that were coming in were, uh, it, when he was available, was all great. And then when other seats started filling up, like um, the Bryant, Chris Bryant moving to the Giants took them out. Javi Baez going to the Mets probably took them out. Um, Gallo and Rizzo going to the Yankees probably took them out of that. So I think all the spots started just filling up. And, and then as they were looking for a suitor, they just really couldn't come to an agreement. But it really is, um, you know, interesting. I think out of all the guys we talked about last week, I think we fought for sure, maybe outside of the Cubs, some of the Cubs guys, that Trevor Story would be the big superstar moved. And the fact that it wasn't uh, wasn't him and it was like a guy like Trey Turner that was the big shortstop on the move or Javi Baez was the big shortstop on the move was um, something um, peculiar and just completely unexpected. But uh, we'll see. We'll see what his future holds, but for now he's going to be in Colorado for the rest of the season. Yeah. And I mean, I think the biggest thing you mentioned there was the compensation pick because uh, teams really like to hold on to that and try to see if they can make something out of it. Uh, They'll extend a qualifying offer to Trevor Story in the offseason. And I mean, everyone else that was on the trade market seemingly did get traded uh, this deadline here, but it was just the Rockies players that were left out. And so I think that's really what it was, is everyone else filled up. Uh, the Yankees were a team that was rumored in on them, but then uh, they decided that the asking price on Trevor Story was too high for what he was worth, so they went in the direction of a first baseman instead and of a middle infielder, and that's kind of the way it went for several other teams. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the biggest puzzling piece was just how do you not move John Gray at this point? And I think that's just a major L for the franchise because I think you absolutely, because he's not a guy who's going to be worth the qualifying offer. So I think since he's going into his uh, free agent year, you absolutely have to give uh, get anything that you can for him in return. Yeah, he's not worth anything to you pitching right now because they are so far back in the standings. I just can't seem to realize, I just can't seem to understand why they would hold on to him. Yeah, I mean, I I think that the Rockies uh, are definitely in still a transition period. Uh, after the Arenado trade, there's a lot of backlash and stuff going on there. Where I think the the new GM's probably a little pressured into not you know forcing a trade or not getting rid of all the uh, the big organizational guys. Um, but even said like uh, like you said, I think John not moving John Gray is probably. A, a, just a bad choice in general, and I think probably we should they should re um reevaluate what they were thinking or how they're valuing some of these guys because uh, I think there's a, definitely a team that was in on John Gray or that could have been looking for him out there that would have been willing to give him um, a decent prospect or two, but they they seem to hold out and, and they're just gonna have the same poor team that they have for the rest of the year. Uh, but this GM I, he seems to be a guy who really wants to build for the draft, so maybe it's not the end of the world for him. Yeah, and speaking of front offices that were taking a vacation this past week, 
you want to talk about the St. Louis Cardinals because they were a team that's uh, teetering right around the middle of 500. They could have went either way with this one. They could have bought and tried to make a last a, a late season push for the division or the wild card, or they could have sold on some of their guys and tried to get a little bit of a, a prospects and resources going forward for the future. But they didn't really do much of anything. What were your thoughts on the Cardinals? Um, disappointing. It seemed like as a Cardinals fan, it, it seemed like you know you were watching all week everybody having fun with the uh, the MLB trade deadline we're, we're looking at Yankees fans going nuts that they got Gallo they got Rizzo everybody's all over here and as a Cardinals fans it feels like uh you know we're just sitting on the sidelines watching everybody else have fun they made a couple moves today they brought in uh, a couple starting pitchers that are just going to be rentals that are uh you going to be inning eaters uh, and John Lester and Jay Happ both of the guys were pretty cheap as they moved Lane Thomas and John Gant, and then a minor league pitcher, uh, those get, both of those guys coming in are thirty nine and thirty seven respectfully, and they are uh, a guys that are not having that great of years. So I mean, I don't know what the direction is with the Cardinals, other than it cl- it clearly is a towel throwing the towel, but not throwing in the towel this year. Um, it's there was a lot of quotes where the general manager Mosellock he said that. That when they get, came in this morning, they really thought they were going to get someone. And I'm assuming that someone was probably Trevor's story. But, you know, it clearly didn't work out. And from there, they kind of just brought in a couple of guys to patch things up. But I, I think the Cardinals are looking towards the future. And they definitely just didn't want to get rid of any of their top five prospects. And maybe even a little bit more from there, too. But I don't know what they were doing. I think this season, the Cardinals were definitely in it. They were playing well at the beginning of the year. But injuries and lack of pitching depth is what killed them. And, and they kind of sat on the on the sidelines, like I said, and they didn't really do anything about it until we got here, and they still really didn't do anything about it. So the Cardinals are really frustrated, and I think they are one of the losers of this deadline as well because they, they could have done more, and, and now it's going to be just another rest of what we've seen the rest of the, the way. And I think the Brewers are probably by far the the casual coast to um to the division title in the Central. Yeah, and then shifting course here to the National League East, it's a division that I've kind of been paying a little bit close eye on because no team has gone out there and taken control of it. Uh, as I mentioned before, the Mets are three and a half games up on the Phillies and four games up on the Braves for that division. We talked about which teams would try to go buy, which teams would try to go sell. Well, <clears throat> the Marlins and the Nationals punted. Uh, we talked about the Nationals, obviously, and for the Marlins, they traded Starling Marte to the A's. Uh, so that kind of signaled them... <clears throat> throwing in the towel for this season after they made the playoffs surprisingly last year. They still have a really young core, so they'll look for next year to try to compete again. Same thing with the Nationals. But the Phillies and the Braves, they, <clears throat> it's a bit of a different story for them. The Phillies uh, are brought in two pitchers that I think is a very impactful move. They went out and got Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy from the Rangers. Do you think that this puts the Phillies in position to maybe um, make a sneaky run to the playoffs and win this division, or do you think they're still a team that's going to hover around 500? I don't think this is going to put the Phillies in the position to win the division. But, I mean, we've been talking about it all year. I don't know. The NL East is up for grabs. And, you know, none of the teams are overwhelmingly that great or, you know, a team where I say, like, these are by far the favorites. Um, I think we have, like, the NL West is going to have both wild cards. Whoever's going to make the playoffs out of the East has got to be the division winner. 
and there certainly is a, a path for them. But I mean, to be honest with you, these Rangers pitchers that they they brought in, Kyle Gibson since the All Star break has been actually um, atrocious. Like he's been hovering around, like I think maybe close to an eight ERA in his couple starts since uh, since the break after having a tremendous first half. So you know maybe there's signs of flash of the pan, um, hot first half. But we'll see what happens in the new change of scenery. And then Ian Kennedy, I think is. Probably going to be more impactful. I think he'll help the bullpen help because God knows the the Phillies need bullpen help. They always do, and they, it, that trend did not stop this year. So maybe he'll help the back end of the bullpen. I don't think the Phillies are the team to watch. I think the team to watch is the Atlanta Braves. They were really sneaky buyers today. They really just, in a matter of seconds and minutes, they just uh, made a bunch of moves and shirt up uh, a lot of their holes. After Acuna went down, they thought that um, – that they would punt on the season. They'd basically uh, say, yeah, it's a wrap for us, but that's, that's the opposite of what they did. Um, what do you, do you agree? Do you think the Braves are more likely here? Like, do you like some of the moves that they made? Yeah, I do. I mean, they went out and got some spare parts to kind of fill some holes. They got Adam Duvall, Jorge Soler, and Eddie Rosario uh, to uh, plug the need for outfielders there. They can kind of platoon those guys or play them as they see fit. They didn't have to give up um, too much of anything to get either one of the three of them. So I think overall that was a good move, but I'm going to go back to the Phillies here. I do think the Phillies have a chance to... I'm actually going to take a bold take here. I'm going to say right now the Phillies are going to make a run and win this division because their lineup is still really good. Bryce Harper's having a, a bounce back season back to his MVP days. Andrew McCutcheon is having a similar season as well. Gene Segura is playing very good. They still have the GOAT Didi Gregorius on their team. So I think I think the Phillies have a really good lineup. It's just been pitching has been their biggest need this season. They needed anybody uh, to uh, eat up innings for them. And I think that's exactly what Kyle Gibson is going to do. Even though he has been struggling his past few starts, he's still uh, been pretty good this past year and a half. So I think that they're putting more stock into that. And then Ian Kennedy uh, has uh, just researched his career uh, going into the bullpen after being a starting pitcher for so many years. So I think that was a really good uh, package duo to pick up for them because we mentioned how so many teams needed pitching and kind of settled on bats. And the Phillies didn't do that. They went out and they got the the pitching that was available. And it may not be the most glamorous uh, or the best moves, but it's the moves that were out there in front of them and they went out and pulled the trigger. So I think the Phillies were one of my big winners, even though they kind of flew under the radar there i really liked what they did this deadline i mean i kind of disagree with the with that i don't know if i would see them as winners i think um the 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 package that they sent back to texas centered around um prospect spencer howard you know despite um him what he's been able to do since you know trying to make transition to the mlb he has not been that great but i really like his stuff and i think that you know, um, getting rid of him, if you're Phillies, uh, if the, you're the Phillies organization to bring in Kyle Gibson. I don't know if necessarily, you know, that was the right choice to make. So they're kind of a borderline team. I, I'm kind of in a sit and wait and see with them. Uh, I don't know if I'm um, as optimistic as I've previously stated as you are. Well, uh, I guess that's the fun part is we will remain to be seen who's right on this one. Uh, but then moving on here to another uh, controversial trade uh, to a degree. 
and that's the Toronto Blue Jays going to get Jose Barrios from the Twins. Last week we talked about whether what the Twins would do this deadline as they had some big name players that they could move, but they didn't necessarily have to because they weren't upcoming free agents. They had Byron Buxton, who was uh, gaining a lot of interest, Josh Donaldson, then Jose Barrios. Uh, the, uh, the first two stayed, uh, but then Jose Barrios was shipped to the Blue Jays as the Blue Jays uh, really uh, sold the farm on this one uh, to go get him. Jose Barrios is a guy that's been a very good pitcher pretty much throughout his entire career, but he's never taken the step to be an elite pitcher like his stuff might suggest that he would be when he was first coming into the league. Do you think this was a good move for the Blue Jays or do you think they just gave up too much for him? So I think that, you know, it's a bit of give and take. I'm in the camp that they gave up too much. I think that Austin Martin and Simeon Woods Richardson uh, being two of the Blue Jays' top prospect, we know how good you know their system is. I think it's a little early to be moving someone, especially of Austin uh, Martin's caliber, like a guy they drafted last year, top five in the draft. He was considered the best hitter in that draft uh, uh, in the first round, especially. So I, I think that you know they might come back or what's called come back to regret that. But I mean, the Twins' asking price for Breos was uh, definitely very high and. You know, seeing what, you know, has actually transpired to get him into Toronto. Uh, I think that that probably shoot or what's called had a couple of other teams, you know, uh, backed away from. But I think that, you know, ultimately, we'll, again, we'll see what happens with Barreos. Cause like you said, he's a guy who's been a, a consistently good pitcher at the major league level, but has never just taken that next step to, uh, to be an elite pitcher that many people thought he, think he could be. And with the the years of controls left, uh, what he can do for the Blue Jays, it seems like they are kind of pushing the win now mode. But they're also in that area uh, with the Yankees. And as you mentioned before, it's like, do you really want to put up a lot of your future just to fight for the wild card uh, in this season? And you know what? If they don't make the wild card, it's going to look pretty bad. And that's where I kind of sit with them. But I, I mean, I still like this Toronto team a lot. I just think this was a bit much just for uh, one starting pitcher. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm kind of split on this trade because they do are going to have Barrios for the remainder of this season and the next season. So it doesn't necessarily have to be this year. It could be next year, but they have such a young core that their their window is open for the next uh, several years at least. But then making a move like this is kind of how uh, teams can go wrong and uh, slowly start to close that window because now they're not going to have those two guys coming up to help them later on. Uh, when those, uh, when Vlad Guerrero, uh, Bo Bichette, and those guys start to get a little older and start to hit their peaks, so I feel like they're kind of, um, it's it just I don't know if I really love the fit here, but I do like the Blue Jays going out and being proactive and getting that arm because they were so desperate for pitching, and it's going to help them a lot. They still are fifty-one and forty-eight with a plus ninety-seven run differential. Uh, that's one of the better run differentials in all the major leagues. But the problem is they're still in fourth place. So is it really worth it if you can't even get a wild card? spot and then it's not like anything is going to change with this division I mean the Orioles are going to Oriole we we know what they're going to do next year they'll be in last place and that's not necessarily that's not quite a bold take there but the Red Sox the Rays and the Yankees are still all going to be really good next season so even though the Blue Jays still have a very good team on paper a very good young lineup and obviously they're going to compete in this division for years to come but I don't know if they're necessarily close to overtaking this division in the next year or two so that from that standpoint I kind of question the Jose Barrios trade uh, I feel like a trade for a pitcher with more team control would have made more sense but the problem was that dude just didn't exist this year because every 
everyone was seemingly rentals are good for just one more year after that. So this was uh, kind of like with the Phillies. Uh, this was what was in front of them. They went out and pulled the trigger. I just think they paid too much. I think this this is kind of a deal that I think where if Barrios was in a situation similar to um, Armand Marquez, who we talked about last year on the or not uh, last week on the Rockies, uh, where. Where he like he's got a couple more years of control than Breos, where he's definitely out there available, and teams wanted to pull him away, but but the Rockies don't want to get rid of him because of that control. If that was the case, then this would have made more sense. But like the fact that you're trading the farm on a team that is on the cuffs of getting uh, getting to that next level, but is still in a very difficult division and is really like barely scratching to get to the wild card. It, it seems a bit much and a bit extreme and a bit, you know, over anxious and aggressive. I mean, but that's what the the whole Toronto organization has been the past, you know, a couple of years. They've been really aggressive to get the guys that they like and, uh, and who they want. So we'll see what happens. But I mean, I ultimately think that this will backfire on them, especially if Boreos continues to be the decent pitcher and not elite pitcher that we think he can get to that, uh, if he can get to that next level. Because, you know, I think, I don't know if he can. Um, he definitely has the good st- the stuff to do it, but it doesn't seem like it all clicks for him, especially. Uh, in, in that Twins organization, but maybe coming into the change of scenery could change things for them. Maybe that's what they're thinking. But I, I'm right there with you. I don't. I think this was an interesting move and not a great one based on the return. Yeah, and just to wrap this up real quick, uh, who's the biggest winner that you have from the uh, from the trade deadline? Whether it's a player uh, or a team, um, I would say the biggest winner. Uh, would it's gotta be, it's, I think it's gotta be the White Sox. I think the White Sox bullpen, as we mentioned before, just, that is just so elite now. And it's going to be something that they're going to depend on the entire way and the rest of the, uh, and the rest of the run. So I, I think that that move bring in Kimbrel and then also Tapera to match up with what they already have. I think that's going to be the biggest, um, you know, difference. I think the easy answer could have been Trey Turner and Max Scherzer for the Dodgers, but I really like that bullpen move for the White Sox. And I think that they are in really good shape to be, um, one of the top contenders in the, in the American League and in the whole, uh, World Series run or World Series, you know, championship odds. So I'm going to go with that. I'm going to say the biggest winner is the White Sox bullpen. Yeah, uh, I'm going to take the easy answer here, and I'm going to go with the evil empire, the team that has to buy their rings. Of course, the Los Angeles Dodgers is the team I'm talking about. Who else did you think I'd be talking about? This is a move that they had to go out and make. They had to keep pace with the other play or with the other teams in their division. We know how good Max Scherzer and Trey Turner is. I'm not going to beat a dead horse here with that. I just feel like that was easily the uh, biggest move of the trade deadline. And as if the Dodgers weren't the favorites before, I think they are just now the clear-cut favorites uh, in the National League and and probably in all of baseball. And then on that note, uh, actually, I'm going to read to you uh, the World Series favorites uh, as on our... As documented on from in Vegas right now for betting odds, uh, the top team is of course the Los Angeles Dodgers. But then after that, you have the Houston Astros, the Chicago White Sox, San Francisco Giants at fourth, uh, New York Mets, and the Boston Red Sox uh, tied as the fifth most likely team to win the World Series. Uh, do you think anything is out of place on this list, or would you uh, put that right as they are? 
I think that, I mean, that's pretty good. Um, you would think that the Padres would be up there, but based on the division they're playing and the fact that they seem like they're going to be um, the team in the wild card uh, really fighting for it, I think that it makes a lot more sense. I, I, I'm, I'm fine with the teams on here. These teams, I, I don't know about the Mets. The Mets is a little questionable I mean, that high, but uh, the other five teams you named have been the best five teams in baseball all year round, and, and I think they deserve to be there, especially after the you know the acquisitions they've all made during the deadline to really show themselves up. Yeah, and we didn't mention the Astros yet uh, on this episode, and that's because they didn't really do anything either. They were kind of in the same boat as the Red Sox. Is. Uh, they're just sitting in first place right now. They didn't make any big moves, but they really didn't make any uh, minor ones either to shore up their bullpen, and that's something I felt that they could have done. And With that being said, I have the Chicago White Sox right now as my favorite uh, behind the Dodgers to, uh, as my favorite to come out of the American League, and then second behind the Dodgers to win the entire World Series, and it's because of the reasons you mentioned. That bullpen is just filthy. And then they have Michael Kopech, uh, who can uh, throw as hard as what, what 102, 103 uh, with ease uh, coming out. Uh, he'll be pitching the sixth or seventh innings for them. So I think that is just a team nobody wants to face in October. You're not going to want to see those guys late, seven, eight, nine, if they're up with one, two, or three runs. That is just going to be a lethal bullpen. Of course, they still have the great lineup. Uh, the White Sox are going to be a team to watch out for. This could be the year uh, that the White Sox finally start to put it all together and make a deep run uh, into October. And that's going to just about do it for us today as we are all out of time here. Uh, I want to give one quick shout out here as we're closing out the show to the Detroit Tigers uh, making history on Wednesday night. And they did it in a sense uh, not many people would quite expect. Uh, They were the first team in MLB history to win a game while getting out homered by seven. That's right. The Minnesota Twins hit seven home runs for a total distance of just under 3,000 feet in that game, and they ended up losing 17 to 14. Every is starting. Um, <clears throat> everyone starting in the lineup for the Tigers had at least one hit, one RBI, and one run. I mean, if that's not the most Twins Tigers matchup I have ever seen, then I don't know what is. I, I that game. Uh, I'm glad you brought it up because I actually had that game on uh, while I was doing something else, and it just seemed every time I looked up, the score was uh, a few more like given the other way. And the end at 17-14 is just an insane game, and especially when it's the the two bottom teams in the division. They aren't playing for anything, just for for pride. And it, it was just it was a blast. I really enjoyed that game. So you know the the Tigers, uh, they make history, and you know not really for the best reasons, but I mean. You know, you got to win how you're going to win. And, and, you know, just because he had a bunch of home runs doesn't mean you're going to, you know, guarantee a win, especially when you got uh, Eric Haas and the, and the bad man Akil Badu on the other side. So, I mean, that's just how it is. Brian Cashman, you out there? Maybe home runs aren't everything after all. Apparently you can win games just getting base hits and moving runners along. But also, that was a 2 nothing game going into the top of the fourth inning. And then going into the top of the fifth inning, that was a 10-6 game. <clears throat> so it looked like the starting pitchers were going all right for a while. And then it all just came crashing down to a halt in the fourth inning. What a crazy game. And that just kind of sums up how this year has been. A lot of just low-scoring pitching duels. But then when the runs start going, they just it really starts to pour in. And it's just been that's just kind of... a it really just uh, describes how up and down this season has been. Uh, that's just gonna. That's just gonna about do it for us today. Do you have any other shout-outs you'd like to bring up, Eric? No, I'm just really happy to you know finally be at the weekend here. It's been a really long week as you touched up at the beginning with the NBA draft uh, yesterday, and then all the MLB trades that we touched on in the past week and today. 
as well as I, I got myself a puppy this week and, and that's been a hassle as well. So it's been, it's been a really long week and I'm excited to, you know, finally get some rest. And now we know where people are going and I can just enjoy some baseball and that's, that's all it is, you know? So, you know, it's been an exciting week. I'm just excited. What about you? Yeah. Same thing here. And so obviously, uh, if you want to reach out to us, uh, comment, uh, get in touch, whatever it is, uh, you can hit us up on Twitter at the OTW pod, or you can reach out on TikTok at off the waivers. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. Go ahead. Enjoy your weekend. Everybody watch some baseball. We'll be back next week to break down the NBA draft and all the craziness that's going on in the NBA as well. Also final note, season two of the outer banks is out this weekend. Everybody have fun watching that. Watch some baseball or just take it easy. With that, peace out.